The scripture reading today is from Psalm 2. It's on page 448 in your pew Bible. Uh, before the word is read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a porter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. The word of God for the people of God. Taking a break from Ephesians for a few Sundays during Advent, we're going to look at a few of the psalms that are called the, the Messianic psalms. Um, in, in one sense, all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus, but some of the psalms are, are so explicit that um, they were often quoted in the New Testament, and the early church saw in them uh, pointing to Jesus and prophesying um, who Jesus was and what he came to do. And uh, as we see very early in the Psalms is one of these. And in, in one sense, what we have here is a panoramic view of all of world history in a matter of a few verses. We might look at this as um, um, uh, three acts and a response, um, kind of we, we, we first see the question of, of, of the situation that most of world history looks like. We, we, we look on um, headlines and, and we see someone drive through a parade to bring destruction and death. And we look around us and we see uh, nations kind of rattling swords, kind of um, doing military tests to show their might and power um, as borders are disputed and those are seeking to have power over others. And much of history is a history of um, rage and division and hatred and warfare uh, so that the, the, the peace and the prosperity that we have had in this nation for a while is, is rather unusual in the history of all of world. And so the question comes from the psalmist, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Um, there's a sense in which the question is 
assuming that there is just a madness to what they're doing. There's this idea of this rage, this tumult, and it looks out at, at the history of the world, and it looks out at nations, and looks at people, and says, why is there this tumult? Why is this, this anger? Why is there disruption? Uh, when it says nations, the idea there would be the Gentiles, the, the people who are not in covenant with God. And so we might ask those who are not in God's kingdom, we see them raging against God. We see them plotting and conspiring against God. And the question is, why would they do such a thing? For it's madness to think that you could stand up against God. It's, it's insanity to think that you could uh, stand up against God. And so their plots and their conspiracies and, and the things they're coming up with is vain. It comes to nothing. It's empty. And so it says what they're doing. It raises the question, why this madness of the world? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So uh, the, the idea here is that we, we see the, the world around us that is not submitting to Christ, is not submitting to God, while we might look and just think, oh, that's, um, that's the way people are, and we, we almost might have a neutral thing, neutral idea that the, the ones who are bringing death and destruction um, are just, they're, they're insane, they're mad, they have their own agenda, but all of this that would harm others, that would hurt others, that would um, try to raise ourselves up and build ourselves up, that, that all of the things that are going on, if it's apart from Christ and apart from submission to God and God's ways, it's nothing less than plotting against God. It's nothing less against divine rebellion it's nothing less than opposing God and His anointed. In other words, the, the world around us is not neutral. Even as it seeks to you know, build itself up and, and strengthen itself, if it's doing so apart from God and apart from recognizing God's sovereignty, it is opposed. It's an enemy to God and against the Lord and his anointed. You see, there's a sense in which God has created all things. He's made us and established his creation, which means he is Lord over all. He is rightly Lord over all. It's not that people are neutral. It's not that some people can come to faith and that's a good thing and others can stay apart. It's that we all are made under him and should submit to him and so throughout the world, God is sovereign and his lordship should be recognized. And anything less is in opposition to the God of Israel, is in opposition to the Lord, is in opposition to Christ against his anointed. And, and so what is the reason for this opposition? What is the, the, the reason and the motive behind the nation's rebellions against God? Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It's seeing God as limiting what they can do. It's seeing God as somehow trying to put limits on us. And we who see ourselves as 
the ones who ought to be sovereign over ourselves and sovereign over others resent any sort of restriction, any sort of hindrance. And so there's a way of looking at the world to see that God made all things and he's established the way the world is supposed to work. And he's revealed to us the way societies ought to work of being honest with one another, of respecting life, of respecting property, of respecting truth. And anything that opposes God's order is nothing less than rebellion against the true Lord of all creation. And the temptation to go against these things is to say, no one should tell me what to do. No one should restrict me. No one should restrain me. And how much of the world around us is saying, there should be no limit to what I can have. There should be no limit to what I can do. There should be no limit to me creating my own reality and trying to live into my own reality. Uh, matter of fact, there was a, a court decision that said that the, the heart of freedom is to kind of form your own reality, to decide for yourself what reality is to be. And there's a sense in which that captures this rebellion because to say there's any constraints, anything that would restrain me from behaving a certain way, or being what I want to be, or doing what I want to do, even to the point of denying biology, even to the point of, of denying any constraint of, of actions or deeds, or, or, or claiming to say this is what the world really is, is to say I'm not free. Someone is constraining me. Someone is um, having bound me, wrapped me in cords. And so, so much of rebellion is saying I want to be God. I want to decide how the world ought to be and live into that rather than saying God is the sovereign God who made all things. Let me see how he has created things. Let me see how he has told us we ought to live and submit to that. And so the nations rage and the people plot. They do so in vain. This is the view of the world. Act 2, we see the view of heaven. So with all the chaos and the rage and, and all the things we see in the world around us, how does God respond? Well, how do we normally respond when we're threatened? How would we respond if someone says they're out to get us? Because not that that's probably worded that much all that way, but, but when we feel threatened, we're fearful or, or maybe we boast. They know who I am. I can do this. I can take care of this. Um, when we see someone threatened, <clears throat> someone who feels no threat, they laugh at how ridiculous it is. And says, sees all the powers of the nations raging against him. When God sees all of the people thinking through how they will extend their lives, how they will overcome others, how they will build themselves up, how they will build towers to their name. The one who sits in heaven laughs. He just, there is no threat. There is no danger to his power. He does nothing less than ridicules the ridiculous thought that a feeble human could dare challenge God he laughs at the arrogance of those who would reach up to heaven while he sits in heaven. He 
holds him in derision, and his wrath and his fury will speak to them. God will not hold the guilty innocent. God will not allow people to harm others and not pay the price. God will not allow arrogant rebellion against him to go um, without judgment. And so what is his response? As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. In other words, against all of the world's power and might, and we, we just imagine all the wealth, we, we imagine uh, the military power, we imagine the incredible technological advances that we think have, have brought us so far. Against all of these things, God says, I, instead of you, have established my king. And so when we, we come to this season of Advent, when we think of the birth of Jesus, what we're seeing is one step in God's plan of subduing the nations and bringing about his will. In Zion, my holy hill, he has set his king. We sing songs about Zion. We, we hear it in Scripture, and, and we think of how, you know, it's wonderful. Zion is a great place, but for, um, for people at this time, this would have been a small hill compared to the other great powers He's looking at Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is, is not an impressive fortress compared to the Assyrians and compared to Babylon. And, and yet God is saying, this is my holy hill. He's lifting it up and saying, here is where I have put my blessing. Here is where I've put my king. And in itself, this kind of points us to the way God is going to bring about our redemption. For in this humble hill that he calls his holy hill and where he has set his king, we almost hear an echo or, or kind of a, a resonance of, of Jesus being born in a stable. That just as Jerusalem would not have impressed anyone, the king who comes is one who is not one who would impress others. He, he's one that the great powers did not shudder for. He was born in humble situation, in poverty, and yet he is the one God has established his king. And so God is saying he's going to establish his king, and now we turn to the king himself. The one Sunday I forget to bring water. I will tell of the decree, the Lord says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He, he's, he's saying that he's heard this. As for me, I will make the nations your heritage. This is the promise God has given to him. The ends of the earth, your possession. He will break them with a rod of iron and dash them pieces like the potter's vessel. This is the babe who was born in the manger. This is the one that no one sees as being worthy outside of those who God has shown the mystery to. But to him, God says, you are my son. And do we not hear the, these words? Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> the that he is the one God has appointed. And does, do we, we hear these words, even in his baptism, you are my son. It's not that Jesus was made the son at some point. It was not that he was elevated to being the son at his baptism or at his birth. He was always the son, but he is the one who is begotten of the father. And he will govern the nations. He will possess all the ends of the earth. The hope that we look forward to is that Christ himself will reign over all the world. 
And this, this global vision of what Christ is doing and his kingdom being established should, should bring us hope because he is a good king. He reigns with perfect justice. He reigns with perfect peace. As you see the one who, who had compassion on the crowds to feed them, you see the one who will provide for all people. When you see the one who raised the little girl from the dead, you see the one who's going to bring life to the world. When you see the one who was willing to go to the cross and suffer you for your sins to proclaim you as innocent and to forgive you, you see the mercy and the compassion of the one who will reign even with a rod of iron and dash his enemies to pieces. You see the goodness of the kingdom is going to be established. Christ is king over all the worlds. Every president, every king, everyone who governs does so under the true king's authority. I might need that one too in a minute, so thank <laughs> So there's a sense of his rule with a rod of iron, him dashing to pieces like a butterfly. And yet he is also the one who said, whoever gives to me a cup of cold water has not lost his reward. So, um, this is not that he is a tyrant who is going about sadistically abusing others. The idea of Christ reigning with a rod of iron or a strong scepter is not that he is um, harming and that he is, um, you know, the, the image of a tyrant that we have, but it's the one that all must submit to him. There's a sense in which when we hear this rod of iron, think of the fact that we all have to live in God's world. No matter how much we deceive ourselves, no matter how much we think that we have grown outside of God's control or that if we have the right technology or if we have the right enough resources or if we have the right understanding, we somehow will escape the fact that God created all things and he will come to judge that we, we can't live beyond the bounds of what Christ has done for us. We, we can't live outside the bounds of his commands and outside of the, the way he has made the reality to work. And to try to go against God and live in our own understanding, to try to go against the creation that he has actually made and not the reality that some of us hope we can live in, to try to go against that is to like jump off a building and think you can escape gravity. To, to run out in front of a truck and think you can escape laws of physics. It is to see that he will break us with a rod of iron because reality is real and we live in God's reality. He is the king. He is gentle and merciful, but he reigns. And so we turn now, having seen the nations, having seen the God who laughs, and see the king who is established, we see also our response. This is what we're called to as we, we hear of Christ who is born. Now, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. His coming is a gospel. It is good news, but in it, it brings a warning. This is an escape from judgment to come to him. To come to him to receive forgiveness is to do so to escape that rod of iron. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. In other words, submit yourself. Recognize his, honor, his authority. It's, it's as though kissing the ring of a prince. You recognize he reigns. 
To kiss the Son is to recognize and submit to Him, lest you perish. That this is what's given. This child who is born is one that we will either submit to or we will be condemned by. We will suffer under His wrath. And so we submit to Him and we obey Him and we do what He commands us to do. We see Him as our Lord as a good Lord that we are joyfully following, but a Lord nonetheless that we bend the knee to and all of our life is to submit to. And at the same time, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. It's not a, a, just a fear and trembling, but I mean, isn't this an amazing thing to, to fear and rejoice, rejoice with trembling, something we don't, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But, but that's the way we come to God. We recognize His power. We recognize His authority, and that brings fear and trembling. But we do so joyfully because we see His goodness, and we see His grace, and we take refuge in Him, and in there is our blessing. Even in Psalm 2, as He's foretelling the coming Messiah, we see that we trust in Him. We take refuge in Him. We come to the cross and we recognize that He has saved us and He forgives us and we can come to Him and call on His name and be saved and take refuge in Him and receive those blessings. But we do so at the same time submitting to Him and kissing the Son and recognizing His authority. We, we sing, trust, and obey. We teach trust and obey. And that is what we're called to do. Trust, take refuge in Him, and obey, serve the Lord with fear. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.